soon. We've been talking about the orphan heart lately, and we're going to continue that. Um, if you missed any messages on the orphan heart, watch the there's YouTube videos um, from last week or the week before that explains an orphan heart, uh, but I'm not going to go into that today. Um, but the point is of the orphan heart is that we were not called to stay orphans or to be orphans. We are sons and daughters of God. We have an inheritance. We are heirs of the Father. So in John 1, 12 to 13, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have the right to become children of God. Can you please turn the piano down? I think he plays a little bit louder. No, you're, you're, you're not Logan. You're still Joy. It just sounded different. So I thought, oh, they switched piano players. So it's a little bit loud in my monitor, please. Or else I'll really start yelling at you guys. So we have the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Romans 8.17 says this, And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself, and since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. He's saying that we, we, we get to experience all that Christ has. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you are not your own, whose are you? If you are not your own, who do you belong to? In Psalms 103, it says, And realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshiping the Lord our God, for he is our creator, and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure, of his pleasure. That's us. In Isaiah 43, it says, But now this is what the Lord, your creator, says, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you from captivity. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You belong to me. So we're going to go into Luke 5. We know, um, most of us, the parable of the uh, prodigal son. And we're going to go through this. It says in verse 11, Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? which at that time, it still would be an incredible, shameful thing to do before your father passes away to ask for your inheritance. But in this time, it's even more so shameful thing to do, very disrespectful. And so the boy does this, and the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. 
Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a faraway land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. So I was reading this and the father said that he started running from himself. He was running from himself and that some of us are running from ourselves. That we don't want to identify or realize that there are things going on in our lives that need to be dealt with and instead of dealing with them, we start running. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We just start running from ourselves. And we think that um, you know, if we changed our situation, if we changed where we lived, if we changed our job, if we changed who we were married to, if we just changed our situation, then it would be better. But guess what? You always take you with you. So you can run from yourself, but you are always going to end up with yourself. And the Father is wanting us to deal with the things that are in our lives so we don't have to run anymore. So pain always seeks pleasure. It always seeks pleasure. Something to fill what's going on in our life. Something to make it feel better. I'm hurt. I'm upset. I need something to make me feel better. So you seek pleasure. So this is what this younger sibling is doing. He is running from himself, going out, seeking pleasure. With everything, so sorry, verse 14, with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. For there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in the country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. And this son decides that I've messed up so bad I can no longer be called one of his sons. But I'll work for him. But I'll work for him. This is an orphan heart where the father, you, you show up and you say to the father, I, I've messed up. I have some big mess ups in my life. And I know that you've forgiven me. I get that. That's cool. But I'm not worthy to be called one of your sons. But I'll work for you. But I'll work for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do what's needed to be done to earn, to earn my place. I'm not worthy. And so this is what we do. Instead of showing up and taking our place as sons and daughters... We think of ourselves as not worthy. So here, so the sun sets off for home from a long distance away. 
the father saw him coming. From a long distance away, the father gets excited. I was thinking about that as I was reading it. A long distance away, that means the father was watching for him. That means that the father never gives up on you. Why does he never give up on you? Because he knows the plans that he has for you. He knows what he declared over you. He knows who you are. He knows what he named you. He knows when you were born who you'd be. So he keeps watching for you to come home because he knows the plans that he has for you. So the father is excited. He sees his son begin to come home. His father saw him coming dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. In those days, fathers, men, they did not run. Not, the, not men of that age because it would show their feet and their ankles. It would show their calves when they began to run. It was a disgraceful thing to do. It was a shameful thing to do. But here you see the father begin to run. And he begins to run towards his son. He doesn't care about the shame. He doesn't care about it. It's his son. That he would take on shame for his son, for his daughter. And so the father begins to run towards him. He sweeps him up in his arms. He hugs him dearly. He kisses him over and over with tender love. And the son said, Father, I, I was wrong. I have sinned against you, and I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupts and says, Son, you're home now. You're home now. No shame, no guilt, no bitterness. Just you're home. I'm glad you're home. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. Not just the best, mine. Bring my robe. Let me clothe him. And I will place it on his shoulders. Bring a ring, the seal of sonship. I will seal him with sonship. Not an employee, not a slave. The seal of sonship. That ring that they wore in those days was so they could... Have, they would have the authority to conduct their father's business within the town. So he puts this ring on his finger and he says, and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son because only slaves, only slaves uh, wore no shoes. He says, you're not a slave, you're a son. Then he says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For the beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. So they begin to party. And the older son, he's out working in the field. And he starts to come in from the field. And he hears some music. He hears a party going on. So he asks one of the servants, what's going on? Why is there music? Where's that calf? Where'd he go? And uh, the servant says, well, don't you know? Your brother has come home. We're having a party. We're celebrating him. And the older brother refuses to go into the party. He's not going into the party. That is also a disgraceful thing 
in those days to do to the family to not show up for the party. He refuses to go in. So the father comes out and he pleads with him. In verse 29, the son said, Father, listen. How many years have I been working like a slave for you? Performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you ever given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours, the younger son. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you're throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father said, My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now is found. But he says, everything I have is yours. It was always yours. Here you were working like one of the slaves, but you were my son. You thought you had to earn my love, but it was always yours. You thought you had to earn all of this, but it was always yours. It belonged to you. And here the older son thought he had to work for it. It was his inheritance. It was, he was an heir. He was a son. What made you think you had to work for this? You're part of the family. It belonged to you. But here you had a slave mentality. You were striving for approval. Striving means to make great effort to achieve or obtain something, to struggle and fight vigorously for. When you're an orphan, you work for God. When you're a son or a daughter, you live from God. Being an orphan is living your whole life as if you need to strive for approval or strive to belong instead of living your life as if you have an inheritance. He calls us sons and daughters my beloved son, my beloved daughter, not my beloved pastor, my beloved mother, my beloved doctor, my beloved CEO, my beloved wife. My, you know, he, he, he doesn't call you by your position. You're a son and your daughter. It's not what you do. And so some of us are striving for positions, but positions will never change your position in his heart. 
Striving for a Christian only exists when there is an absence of the love of the Father. When you don't know the love of the Father, you're striving to work for it. You know, Jesus came to reveal who the Father was. You never saw any striving in Jesus. He just followed what the Father told him to do. And he came to reveal the Father. And so you would see him talk to the disciples. And when the disciples said, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, okay, our Father. Not my Father. He was saying, look guys, this is our dad that we're praying to. So, so first we would talk to him like our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Our Father. So what started this whole, <laughs> is this the Canadian version? He was lost, but now is found, eh? <laughs> oh, train of thought, okay. Uh, what started in this series was I was studying quite a few weeks back for another service and all of a sudden God said I want you to look at John and Peter and this is where the orphan heart series came from John John the beloved he referred to himself as John the one whom Jesus loved I remember being a little kid and thinking, man, I would never want to meet John. He's arrogant. He doesn't even sound like a great guy. But then realizing that John had a revelation of love. He had a revelation of being loved, that he was loved. He doesn't say John, the one who loved Jesus. It's John, the one whom Jesus loved. And so he constantly referred to himself as that. You'll see him all through scripture saying, oh, and, and, and writing about himself. And then John, the one whom Jesus loved, was there. And so I started to think about it. Then I started to look at Peter. And all through the scriptures, uh, up until just after Jesus' death and then resurrection, you see Peter, and he's talked a lot, but it always seems like he's kind of off in a distance you have Peter, and he's, you know, Jesus asked, who do men say I am? And Peter says, you're the son of God. And he's, yeah, you know. And he's like, great job, Peter. You know, God revealed that to you. That's awesome. And then the next second, he's like, I rebuke you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, like, and so Peter's like, ah, oh, messed up again, you know. I love Peter. He's probably one of my absolute most favorite people in the Bible. I just love Peter. I love, I love who he is. I love his energy. And then you have Peter You know Jesus is going to wash their feet and Peter's like no Jesus I should wash your feet and Jesus is like no Peter I should wash your feet and, and and so he's Peter can never really rest and then you see him at the table and this one at the last supper and 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 he's sitting there I don't know how close he is to Jesus but you can see this kind of picture painted. John, the one whom Jesus loved, 
is resting on Jesus, like he's just up close, laying on Jesus' chest. And Jesus says, someone's going to betray me. And Peter motions to John to ask Jesus. Like, hey, John, you should, you should ask Jesus. As if Peter couldn't ask Jesus himself. But John, John was the one whom Jesus loved. So, hey, hey, John, ask Jesus who the one is. And so John asks, and Jesus tells him, well, watch what I do. You'll see who that one is. And... But Peter just never quite close enough. Then you see Peter tell Jesus, you know what, if all of these people fall away, if all of them turn their back on you, Jesus, I got you. I got you, Jesus, not me. This guy's with you all the way. These other guys, you know what, I've known them for quite a while. Probably not going to stay, but Jesus, me, I got you. I'm going to do this, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to deny me. Nope, not this guy. Peter, you're going to, nope. I got you, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. I'm going to show you that I'm the best disciple there is. I, I got this. Then you see them at the garden and people have come to take Jesus away. And Peter's like, I'm not going to. I got this. I'm going to stick by Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him how much I love him. I'm going to show up every time. I've got this. And he, these guys come for Jesus, and he grabs a sword, and he cuts the guy's ears off. I'll show you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, put the sword away. And that's just like us. I'll show you, Jesus. I got you, Jesus. I can do this and I can do that. And I'll prove to you that I love you. I, I'll do this. Whatever you need, I, I, I'll make sure that you know that I love you. Jesus is like, do you know that I love you, though? <laughs> That this constant striving that you're doing, that you're trying to prove something, but you don't need to do that? Jesus, Jesus, in that moment, was being taken away to save us to save Peter. Your striving, your striving didn't put Jesus on the cross. Your striving didn't save you. Jesus did. What did you do to get Jesus to save you? What did you do? What was it? What did you do? 
before, before you knew, before you even knew him. The Bible says you were yet sinners and he died for you. So if he went to the cross and died for you and you had nothing to do with it, he did it because he loved you, why are you striving now? Why are you trying to prove yourself now? So then you see Peter. Ah. I won't deny you, Jesus. I got you. And now, now, he's denied him three times, just like Jesus said. He's looked Jesus in the eyes, messed up again. And that's what striving will do. Striving, when you get into striving, it'll either cause you to mess up because you're doing it in your own strength. You're trying hard to be something. You're trying hard to do something. Or you'll get so stressed out from striving That you'll break. Because we weren't meant to strive. So he says, come to me, all who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. The message says, if you're burnt out on religion, come to me. I'll give you rest. You're exhausted from all of this striving. Come to me. I'll show you. You know what happens when you come to me? I'll show you what a father looks like. So Peter's messed up. Then... You know, we know how this goes, so I'm going to go back to Jesus shows up on the shore. Jesus has died. He's risen again. The angel says to the uh, women, go tell the disciples and Peter. So Jesus shows up on a shore. And him and Peter are talking, and, and Jesus has come to reaffirm him. And the praise and worship team can come. And Jesus comes to reaffirm him. And then him and Jesus are walking. Peter and Jesus, they're walking. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to die a light. You're going to die and your death is going to be a crucifixion. And Peter's like, okay, okay. But then as they're walking, Peter looks behind him. And guess who's behind him? John, the one whom Jesus loves. Great, he's behind me, right? Looks behind him. Then he says to Jesus, okay, so I have to die this death. What about the one you love? What about him? And Jesus says to him, what does it matter? What does it matter, Peter? How he dies or lives or what happens to him. You, this is what he says, you keep your eyes on me. You follow me. And this is us. 
as Christians, looking around, comparing ourselves to somebody else, what about them? What about them? What about their relationship? What about how far they've gone? What, what about the, how come they have this? How come they don't have this? How come I'm not like that? How come you haven't blessed me? How come this? How come that? And he says, what does it matter? You follow me. You look to me. Because when you begin to look around at other people, then you begin to strive. I got to get, okay, so this is how they do this. This is how, okay, so I'll follow that formula so that I can get in a good position with God. If I could just learn how they did that, do what they did, I'll get into a good place with God. We strive for position when it's God who positions. Are we going to work? Does God have gifts and callings and things for us to do? Absolutely, He does. But it is not in striving. It's out of your position of sonship, of daughtership, if that's a word. It's out of your position of royalty. Romans 5.8 says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. It was about God's passion for you. In 1 John 4.10 it says, This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. It was him who loved you first. It was always about his love. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his love. It, it wasn't you that loved him and then he loved you. It was his love that you're here. It was his love that called you. And so in the middle of his love, you think you need to maintain it? That work hard to maintain his love for you when you did nothing, nothing to earn it. Is that making sense? Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're going to go into a song that most of us know quite well, No Longer Slaves. 
because I am a child of God. I'm not a slave, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not a slave to religion. I'm not a slave to what, I'm not a slave to that orphan heart. I'm not a slave to those things that kept me bound. I'm not a slave to bitterness. I'm not a slave to the abandonment. I'm not a slave to the times in my life where I was dropped. I'm not a slave to it anymore because I am born of God. And when I became born of God, I became a son and a daughter of the Most High. I'm not a slave to those things anymore. So hear the Father this morning as he shows up and says, um, uh, go get the ring. Go get the robe. Go get the shoes. And put them on my sons and daughters. That we would step into our full destiny as sons and daughters. Say, I'm a child of God. Say that. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I have an inheritance. I am royalty. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's go into that song. You can stand.